Morning everyone, uh, I am in what is now the former, well to be fair kind of has been since 2007 but it's been uninternational more recently, I'm in the former Waterloo International Railway Station um, and from 1994 onwards this place saw the arrival of high-speed trains um, but it was not Britain's first high-speed line and that's not because the trains sat on the existing knackered third rail network from the channel up to here. It's not even because Britain's first high-speed railway line, as this plaque behind me is lying about, was here at, uh, at the glorious uh, St Pancras. Here is the one from St Pancras. Yeah, no, this, this, so high-speed one, which uh, finally reached uh, St Pancras, the glory, look at this. This is just fantastic. The glorious uh, St Pancras station in 2007 isn't Britain's first high-speed rail line. Now, why is that? And what line might I be referring to? Well, as I wander along here with the fantastic rail shed behind me, you'll have to just uh, sit tight and find out shortly. But first, the news. Hi. <laughs> Did the sound work for that? I, uh, I had no way of knowing. Thought I'd do an on-location introduction. How's, how's everyone doing? You're right. Is, is it working? I think you can hear me. I think the sound balance is dreadful. I think that was really, really loud. Uh, anyway, how are you all doing? I arrived. I got here. I managed to get my bus, get my train. Oh my goodness. Also, why have I got top chat rather than live chat? Oh, YouTube have fixed that. Hooray. Thanks, YouTube, for fixing that. So, the news. Oh my goodness. So, yes, uh, some nice news. Hooray. The, the Dartmoor line is... Um, is, has, has, has got services running on it. They've called it the Dartmoor Line. I mean, it only goes to Oakhampton, but progress. And given how many years have we had um, pathetic reverse beaching restore railway nonsense being talked about, um, and it's only, this is the first of them to actually appear after years and years of, of prevarication. It's, it's futile. Oh, my goodness. So, uh, yes... There are uh, some trains running to Oakhampton now, which is good, but it's it should really only be the be the beginning. That that line should become the main line of of of, of for for trains running south from Bristol towards um, the tip of of, of Cornwall. Um, uh, yes, Joseph June, absolutely, yeah. In fact, I just said it, didn't I? So yes, indeed. Uh, so that's one one news item. Uh, number two news item is uh, what is the number two news item? Oh yeah, that's what I've just been at. Been at, at um, Birmingham University of Birmingham. Their school of engineering has just kind of opened in a new, a new building. Um, I mean, they've been in there for a while, but they have had their kind of formal opening. And uh, I'm going to do a thread on on a few of the facilities that I spotted, having a little tour. Um, oh, it's fantastic. It's really good. Um, just it was nice to catch up with a lot of people who were there as well. Uh, yes, it was, it was really great. So, uh, yes, University of Birmingham. Um, good stuff all around. Oh, this thing. Look at this little creature. It's, um, it's a very light train, or is it? Uh, actually, it is. It's, it's, it's not quite as light as they originally planned, but it's, they're, they're aiming for one tonne per metre. I think they've exceeded that a bit. But the reason for that is partly because they, ha they are using um, conventional freight bogies rather than ultra-light bogies, so that they are just to minimise the number of things they have to be managing. You, know, you don't want to try too many brand new things all at once. So, um, uh, it, yeah, uh, Raphael uh, is asking whether it's Oakhampton or Oakhampton. 
Uh, it's the first one. Oakhampton. Uh, sorry, that was uh, in reference to a previous item, obviously. Yeah, this is the Revolution VLR thing. This is a project that's ongoing. They've launched the thing at Ironbridge, I think, and they're running it back and forth as a trial. I've, I'm going to prod them and see if I can go and do a rail matter in it. It'd be quite interesting to have a look at, I think. It might be a short one, you know, but it'd be interesting to have a look at. Um, it's not really a pacer, no. It's more like an advance on the concept of the Parry People Mover. So, yes, it is inheriting some sort of operational elements of the, the pacer idea, but this is a proper train. It has bogies. You know, this is this is just aiming for being super light. So it's not really... Oh, no, Neil thinks it's very good. Thanks, Owen. Um, yeah, I need to speak to the VLR um, team and get down there and do a bit of prodding and recording and understanding. Ultimately, I, I, I've been juries out on VLR because I'm, it's not so much that the technology... I, I don't have any problem with the training and the technology. It's very interesting. For me, it's, uh, well, what, what are the political implications of this? What does this mean? What, what, what does this mean? You know, where is this going to be applied? Is this, is this a useful alternative to... Is this going to in any way speed things up? Or is it, you know, what, what, what's it offering? So, uh, yeah, it's interesting to see what, what it means. And, um, yeah, so... Uh, I look forward to seeing what it... Ultimately, the operational costs... I, I don't know, the, the, the reduction in... in Yeah, I, I've, jury's out in terms of the implications of this. But anyway, there is uh, there is the, uh, the the VLR train. Let's see what, see what comes of that. What else? Oh, this bollocks. Yeah, that's right. Um, lovely nonsense being put out... Uh, uh, being regurgitated disappointingly by a, a publication that I thought knew better because I, 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 in fact, I think I tweeted that they, that I've pretty much seeded everyone at NC Digital to, uh, you know, new civil engineer to be on top of this sort of stuff. And, uh, and one of their other writers who admittedly subsequently uh, acknowledged that they may be had been a little overzealous in repeating the press conference, you know, the press release nonsense. Um, this, this, it's this bollocks. It's a poddy nonsense in gadget band rubbish in, um, well, this appears to be Philly, but it's not in Philly. It's in uh, County Durham. It's going to be running up to, well, it's not. This is never going to materialise, but they're coming up with a load of nonsense. In fact, it's the, the, the article is here uh, claiming that they're going to, they, firstly, they said it has been launched in Shildon. I don't believe it has. Uh, and then a load of like, kind of ip you know load of like copyright symbol gimmick names urban.mass the funniest claim about this um the funniest funniest uh, about this is that they that their press release kate said world's first zero emission driverless mass transit system uh which is wrong by quite a number of decades um so many that uh, I mean, I mean, in the UK, the one I'm thinking of is is the Victoria Line, which was zero emission and driverless. But I suppose there was a driver sat in there, so maybe you'd go, well, you know, there's not a driver in there. So oh, all right, okay, fine. Um, what about if we're going by a true definition of mass transit? Then okay, then probably DLR. But if you go for, you know, if you're just talking about sort of a, a non-car system, then you know, maglev beat this. Uh, you know, there, there are just there are just so many, and globally, there are just dozens of things that are ahead of this. It's just so. Um, Rob, we had the chat. Please don't regurgitate this crap from these uh, these charlatans who are just they are the worst kind of sharks involved in these projects. So just absolutely ignore any press releases you get from this sort of gadget band nonsense. Um. So anyway, yes. Um. 
Yeah, Birmingham Maglev. Yeah, Maglev, by which I mean the, the airport, what is now the airport people mover, but the original Maglev project. Um, uh, DLR, yes, I'm not talking about Maglev generally. No, screw Maglev generally. I meant Maglev. Um, the DLR, the Do Docklands Light Railway. Um, yes, absolutely. Uh, so, what else is going on? Tim Baum is saying, have I seen Christ Packham, that's an interesting typo, complaining about highways blocking off bat roosts on bridges they want to underfill? Uh, no, I haven't, but it's nice to see Chris actually, uh, if he is indeed doing that, then uh, oh, it's about time he joined the party. Anyway, right, so that nonsense. What else? Oh, so from that bollocks to this bollocks. Uh, Treasury, rail not part of the solution. The Treasury have confirmed their attitude. They have absolutely zero interest in rail being part of the solution. Um, their uh, net zero strategy has three paragraphs dedicated to rail out of a project, you know, a report of many, many, many pages. Uh, actually, have I got it up? Oh, yeah, I do. Look, there it is. Oh, sorry. Flashing images warning. Um, isn't that one of the proposals for the Paris Metro? Some of the Paris Metro is already driverless, actually. I think it's line 14, isn't it, that's, that's, that's actually not got drivers in it. Oh, don't look at that, that guy. It's quasi. Anyway, uh, so oh, there's lots of stuff. But basically, transport, and there's just there's just so little on rail in this. I mean, it's pages and pages and pages and pages and pages and pages and pages. There's so many pages, of which there are only three paragraphs for rail. So uh, let's stop that flicking image. Sorry. Oh yes, talking of um, yeah. So uh, talking of which, Treasury, you know, deciding that rail isn't the solution. Of course, the big news that's just kind of come out today while I was on the train, in fact, on my way back, is that Euston has been confirmed as having only ten platforms for HS two. Um. So, yeah, bad news. Uh, this is this is a potential hint of what's to come in terms of descoping HS2 and continue to descope HS2. So uh, yeah, this isn't this isn't good. This is in fact very bad. Uh, so I'm I'm yeah pretty worried about this. Yeah, we'll uh, yeah. What what can we do? You know, uh, be angry, write to your MP. It's just it's, we're running out of things we can achieve here, aren't we? Really, um, we really are running out of things we can achieve. So. Um, yeah, a little bit, a little bit, um, basically, um, it's difficult to, to, difficult to really comprehend that this is spectacularly bad news, short-sighted, indicative collapse of the whole project. Um, you can get 16 trains per hour to work. So that means that we're getting rid of one train. Uh, that means we're getting rid of the potential for 18 trains an hour, which is the, the, the maximum capacity to line through into, into Houston. Which, mean, um, which means we're getting rid of at least one actual service that has been proposed already. So which one is it going to be? Really, really... Ah, the original monorail proposals is what Hayley uh, Ellis-Williams is saying. Ah, okay, Hayley. Uh, oh, maybe. Yeah, I'm not sure. That's interesting. You have to send some stuff over and have a look. Um, anyway, right. So, sorry, you might have noticed I'm actually starting to muck around with my... Uh, I'm mucking around with the spreadsheet because I've just noticed some problems with it ahead. Look at me multitasking. Oh, good grief. So, oh, um... What can we say? Uh, right, yes, anyway, so that's enough of the news. It's depressing, isn't it? Uh, there's no um, no COVID update because I've been away, so I couldn't get the downloads done, but I'll do that next next time round. We'll have an update, and we'll, we'll kind of see a couple of weeks. So here is a picture. Now, this picture is of a, is, is of a, a very nice uh, original livery Eurostar traveling along um, the Channel Tunnel rail link, as it should have been called. But... For some reason, this this line ended up getting called. Well, what what is it? What do you think? 
Oh, people, I tell you what, before we do that, people are asking some sensible Houston questions, and maybe I should answer that. Shall I, uh, shall I do this? Wait a minute, let me go... I'm going to go big face briefly. Hello, everyone, it's me. Um, so, yeah, questions. Uh, <sighs> key question. Oh, thoughts on the rolling stock contract news, says Jermaine. Uh, is the rolling stock contract news the fact that... Um, uh, Siemens are doing a legal case. Is that the contract news? Yeah. Oh, apparently Hitachi and Bombardier have won. Have they actually announced that, Jermaine? Have they actually announced it? Interesting. Yeah, there's currently a legal case going on because there's, there's only one compliant bid as part of the, 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 you know, the bid for the rolling stock, and it isn't the uh, Hitachi Bombardier bid. Uh, so that'll be interesting. Um, yeah, have you got a source for that, Jermaine? That's interesting if Attach and Bombardier have won, because that would have made the news if it's true. I haven't seen that yet. Uh, let's see. Um, right, so going back to what was the question? Any chance to retrofit used in the future? No, not really, because there's, there's all sorts of challenges. The fact that there's this, this stupid lend lease are wanting to put oversight development on top. So, I mean, why am I so high up in the screen? Oh, yeah, this is me and my um, out and about doing things thing. Also, the, 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 this is making the, this get all tangled. This is also, I don't know which... That's this side. Oh, sorry. Oh, that's better, isn't it? Right, so... Um, oh, no stats graph. I'm sorry. Sorry, Deirdre. Uh, yeah, sorry, Detour. Um, that is disappointing, isn't it? Team stats, not happy. Uh, yeah, next next time. I, I arrived off a bus fairly rapidly. Um, yeah. So... Uh, what was I? What was I wittering on about? Is this the first time you've all? This is probably the first time some of you see. This is what I normally wear when I'm going out on shenanigans. It's just that you know you see me in my like lazy bedroom attire most of the time uh, of late. Yes. Anyway, Jermaine, send us links if that's if that's appeared. Pop us a link on the on the on the commentary. That'd be interesting to have a look at. Anyway, right. What am I waffling on about? Let's let's get rid of my face and go back to here and go. Yes. What was I waffling on about? So um. Oh, it's not been officially announced. Yeah, but oh, but it's been leaked in the in the high court case. Oh, yeah, okay, that that can be. Yeah, none of the other. Yeah, there's 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 quite a lot of interesting information in that in the publicly available court documentation in there. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting that it's gone the direction it has. I personally think it's bad news to put any rolling stock orders through. This is going to annoy quite a lot of people. I don't think it's responsible for us to be putting any rolling stock orders through what was Bombardier and Derby at the moment because they have still yet to fulfil quite a lot of their orders. And to be honest, I don't think they're competent to be fulfilling any more orders until they can prove that they have done some serious culture change in their organisation. Uh, you heard it here first, um, everyone. <laughs> but uh, yeah, sorry, I don't think Alstom, Alstom need to do some, put some serious work in to fix Bombardier, what was Bombardier at Litchurch Lane because... They don't know how to build trains anymore. Anyway, right, so on that cheery note, uh, yeah, here's some lies and tomfoolery because what did they do with this new bit of railway line? Well, they called it High Speed 1, and it's not High Speed 1 because High Speed 1 would employ that it impl would it imply that it is the first high speed line, which it ain't. It's lies and tomfoolery, everyone. So, um, oh, golly. So, right, without further ado, let me wi stop wittering and uh, mash this button and make the episode start. Uh, <laughs> welcome along, everyone. Welcome along, along to tonight's rail matter.
And as the Intercity 225 fades away... It's a good one for train fans. Oh, golly, I thought I'd got rid of the sound. Oh, it's good, a good grief. You don't want to hear me repeatedly doing that. That's... Good one for train fans. It's a good one oh, golly, it's starting, it's starting. Wait, 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 wait. I can fix this. I can fix this. There we go. Oh, my goodness. It's a disaster. <laughs> oh, it's it's it really is it, it really is doing it right. I'm going to mute my desktop audio for a little bit while we. There we go. You're free of it. Now you've got to deal with me. Uh, not. Ugh, it's a disaster. Why won't I shut up? That's the key thing. Wait, watch me do this. I'm gonna go big face. Big face. Hello, it's me in big face. So that I can do my I can do some tech fixing. Oh my goodness me. Just just don't worry about it, folks. It's it's one of those evenings. Ah, there, I fixed it. I can now go back to... Oh, you want my miniaturized face anyway, don't you? So, uh, yeah, there we are. Uh, small face, and I can unmute desktop audio. God. Put that loop in me as the new intro. No, it's not the new intro. It's uh, Tim memed me. Uh, did you enjoy... Uh, this is... Well, there's a problem uh, podcast level of professionalism. Matt Reed is just lost. Matt's just lost. He's just like, what the hell's going on? Sorry, Matt. Yeah, um... Did I, did I, who, who tuned in? Uh, it was really good fun. I, I I hadn't seen it, so I hadn't seen what their edit was going to be like, but it was quite good fun. I think they did a really nice job of, of kind of um, showing what... Uh, I think they did a really nice job of showing of showing Roger and, and Roger explaining his story, which is good fun. But, um, yes. Uh, so, take back control, Gareth. Thanks, Raphael. Yeah, just put that loop... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we're, we're, we're on top of it. Oh, so uh, yeah, this was this was this was the clip that Tim decided to turn into a thing and get running around the internet, which is very good of him. Thanks, Tim. So uh, anyway, we'll move on from that, shall we? Uh, but on the on the note of that, so that was on um, the architecture the rovers built, which I'm sure you all watched on Monday night. If you haven't watched it, then uh, then tune in um, because it was a really good episode anyway. But obviously, we we walked we 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 kind of talked about uh, some diversion, uh, right? John Christoph is asking why I'd be embarrassed about having that big of a smile on my face. Well, yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, Barry Jones is right. They kept me to a minimum, thankfully. Yeah, it's, it's true. Uh, right, so some bonus content in relation to that, because I did set this challenge on Twitter, which was talking about why they have, um, why we have um, parallel, uh, kind of these, these parallel, uh, normally on the railway, you have parallel piers next to the railway. So you design that, you, you, it's parallel. On Selby Diversion, they are, the piers here are perpendicular to the road. And the, the reason for that is actually... Uh, and you might pick this up from the episode. Uh, it's because there was a huge, and we'll talk through this tonight um, about this railway that I've not alluded to yet. Obviously, that that is that, that merits being you know actual high speed one. But anyway, um, they had to design all this stuff in a record time. And bridges take time to design. You know, you've got to uh, you've got to do all the you've got to do all the structural calts. You've got to um, you've got to do all the reinforcement detailing. You've got to do all the foundation design. So what they did was like, you know what, we're going to make them three generic three-span structures like this. So they're all three-span like this, which minimizes earthworks as well. So that was a differential settlement issue that that, that three-span, rather than having just, you know, uh, like the, the previous one, you could see there's, there's earthwork that runs, you can see the, the, down there, you can see the earthwork runs right up to the to the, the kind of the, the piers. Actually, they're really abutments, two abutments. Whereas uh, on this one, you can see that the abutments are, I mean, let me scribble, let me whack them gone. Because this is what this is what you need, isn't it? Yeah. So oh, it's green. It's always it's always red on green, right? So uh, I'm going to draw here. So this at this point is is the edge of the of the deck, and, and this sort of section here. So the here to here uh, and here to here. This bit is is on is, is sort of at the abutment, right? So down below here is is abutment, and then you've got the you've got kind of the earthwork uh, here. 
this is actually a span. So this section here, and that's uh, the other side as well. This side. This is a. These are spans, as is this. This is another span. So this is the third span. This is obviously the main span with the railway going through it. Now, the main thing is by making these perpendicular, it didn't matter what angle. You know, the bridge could have been coming from here. The bridge could have been coming off at a totally different angle. It doesn't matter what angle the two intersected. They could have been perpendicular. You know, the, the like that or like that or like that. And um, they could use the same design of bridge no matter where it was. Just plonk it down with the road alignment. Happy days. So that. Um, uh, so that's the reason for it. And a lot of people are pointing out about asymmetric supports and, and, and sort of, in fact, John Christoph is. Um, generally, that's not so much of an issue for these sorts of concrete decks because it's formed, the deck is generally formed of uh, lots of individual, oh dear me, that's, that really is not the angle of that, lots of individual sort of, um, of, of beams. Actually, if, if you like, the deck is, how can I draw this? with The deck, if you imagine this is the deck in cross section, it's actually formed of like, sort of lots of, of bits like this. Um, so actually what you've got is rather than it be, if it was at a skew angle like this, uh, like that, then actually what you do is you have, uh, you've actually got sort of like, uh, what you've actually got is like this, and then that's my, with my dreadful sketch, and then this, and then this. So actually the calculation for that don't become so bad. And in a way, if you if you designed it to have the, the, the piers parallel with the railway, you would have reduced the span, so you'd actually reduce the forces on those beams. So this is a, this has more forces in it, but you can standardize, which means you can deliver it quickly. So for a marginal increase in section depth to get that strength, you are standardizing the design, which means you can deliver it quickly, which is relevant. Um, why don't they do that for all railway bridges to save cost? Um, because we don't build new, totally new... We do with completely new railway bridges. You'll see that they are fairly standardized, but it happens so infrequently that actually it might as well be bespoke because they're just doing one of them. Um, and in terms of all, of, we do have standard decks because we renew the decks of bridges pretty regularly. Uh, Network Rail is the, the, the world's biggest bridge builder. You know, the number of decks that we're replacing, is it, it, it happens a lot. But those, you know, only to an extent are those standardized. Actually, every site is bespoke and we don't rebuild all the supports and piers. So when you're doing a bridge deck renewal, in fact, you can see it's happened here. This is, there's one happened here. This is, there's actually the, so they showed this one erroneously in, in the architecture the railways built. They were showing this as being on the Selby diversion as a single span bridge. It's not, this isn't the Selby diversion. These are the Leeds lines. But the, the bridge, oh, that bridge, this one, uh, this one is, this is the same road. So this direction is, is, uh, is going here. So if you drive this way, you come over this bridge too. Now, um, this bridge here, you can see has, I'm already, what are we, 23 minutes in, I've not even started talking about the episode, you know how this rolls. These supports are, are pretty old. Um, actually, I don't know if they, they do look kind of newer, they've done like quite a lot of work, but it often happens, I don't know if this is the case in this example, but it often happens that you'll have the abutments and supports will still be the old original supports. And they might well rebuild things like this, they might rebuild the brickwork at the parapet, but what you do is then you replace the deck, so you re actually replace the deck here. This looks to me like a Roger Bastin design when he was doing a lot of bridge renewals, Roger Bastin being the, the structural engineer on the on the, the railway that we've not mentioned by name yet. Um, and this looks like one of his, and it's actually been done in readiness for electrification. So we don't. This isn't one we've rebuilt recently. I don't think, by the look of it, this is a, a more a, an older uh, sort of construction. Although it's, it's fairly modern, to be fair. Anyway, right, enough waffling. Oh, so that's why that is. Its main reason was for speed of design. There we go. Uh, <laughs> lovely. So, um, do these bridges have any more structural integrity than normal railway bridges? No, more or less. They're just standard. You know, they they 
satisfy the requirements of, of any bridges that are rebuilt or, or kind of modified older bridges obviously generally be a bit, are, are often a bit close to the bone but anyway right so enough of that this whole discussion is going to be based on this this whole chat is uh, is going to be a bit of a flick a quicker flick through but uh, there's a railways explain do you remember this font by the way there's a railways explain thread that i did quite a while ago on the selby diversion uh, i think i did it on the anniver- on one of the anniversaries of its opening i think it's the, it's the uh where is it it opened in anyway we'll we'll basically the, the the line of which we're about to refer to i've probably possibly named it already without realizing uh that thread is is possibly interesting for you so go find that if you just search real hashtag railways explained and selby diversion you'll find it but anyway this will cover some of it but first but first before we do any of that uh, I'm going to go full Rosniak and uh, go Socratic method and say, first of all, what is high-speed rail? To understand what why high-speed one is not Britain's first high-speed rail line, we need to know what high-speed rail is in the first place, right? So, um, oh, do queue up these questions. There's some interesting questions coming through. So, uh, what is high-speed rail? Well, the definition of high-speed rail is fairly straightforward. High-speed rail is 250 kilometres or more on dedicated lines or... It's 200 kilometers an hour on existing sort of mixed traffic lines. That's high-speed rail. And that's according to the, the EU, you know, European Union Directive 9648 uh, Echo Charlie, Annex 1. But uh, it was derived by the, the, the UIC, who are kind of the international uh, kind of union of railways, um, decades before the EU even existed. So, uh, yeah, so that is that's so 250 kilometers or more on a dedicated line is a high-speed railway. So there is your, uh, there is indeed your, your definition. So that's what high-speed rail is. So bear that in mind now. So the next thing is, so we talk about the Selby diversion. The, the, the Selby diversion is called such because it was the East Coast Main Line being diverted away from Selby. That's what the Selby diversion is. It doesn't run through Selby. It diverts around Selby. If you like, it's like the East Coast Main Line Selby bypass. But why did that happen? Why did we need to move... At the East Coast Main Line, and, and occasionally people will go, well, you know, they had to get round the, you know, the the Selby Swing Bridge. <laughs> nope, that's nothing to do with it. What it is is because of Iran. Iran is why we needed to move the Sel- uh, to to move the East Coast Main Line. Um, because of geopolitics. Uh, uh, firstly, it was the nationalisation of um of Iranian oil. Then it was the Iran-Iraq war in, it, later on in the seventies. But actually, specifically, it was the it was the the, the crisis in the middle of the nineteen seventies. There are two nineteen seventies oil crises. People often get them confused, and they often get associated with that. They often get confused as to which relates to the winter of discontent. But anyway, that's another story. So yeah, there was a so as a result of of shenanigans, there was a massive oil crisis globally, particularly across um, uh, where, the West. And as a result of that, the price of coal went up. So it became viable to, to, to kind of reboot Britain's coal industry and start investigating new options for, for getting coal. And, and, and so there was money in, in justifying research and development to, and, and exploration to find more coal fields and, and indeed to invest in technology to exploit um, previously kind of abandoned coal fields. So, so here is a picture. And this, this map here uh, shows a few things. It shows... Firstly, you've got the, um, you know, what I need to do is change the color of my pen because there's going to need to be so much, uh, uh, oh, yeah, pointer options. I'm going to bring up my color and I'm going to make it, uh, what do you think, white or yellow? Let's go with yellow, shall we? Let's go with yellow. So we have, um, there we are. yeah, so this is the reason for the Selby diversion here, as you can see. Wait a minute. What, what, 
I'm, I'm breaking the house style here a minute. Let me just, it's because I'm stealing my own slide deck from other, other, other slide situations. Don't worry about that too much. Uh, it's just going to take forever, isn't it? Uh, let me just do this. Uh, oh, never mind. It's fine. Uh, let me do that. And, and, and that. There we are. Okay, ignore me faffing around. Uh, so, sorry. <laughs> Getting distracted. Oh, golly. So, here's Leeds. Uh, here is the, the line to Hull. Going this. Oh, good grief. Uh, that's because I've got this thing at a wonky angle. Because, what was it? Why is it? Oh, it's because my wire from my Wacom got caught around the end of my desk. That's why. So here you've got the line, the the, the line to Hull. Uh, up here you've got York, lovely York. Down here is 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 kind of the the old route to Doncaster, and this is the the original East Coast Main Line. So it actually weirdly peeled off from the 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 Leeds bound lines because the first line that was built was actually this was this connection up to Leeds was the first. Actually, it was this. It was this. It was the first railway that was built here. It was this one. That was the first. Anyone correct me if I don't know my, my if I haven't got my history correct, but I believe that was the first. Was it? Because I think it was that which came in first, and then the the Leeds to Leeds Selby line came in later. Is that is that correct? Um, possibly, yeah. Interesting. Jermaine is asking if uh, Jermaine ask me ask me that question again later, and I'll answer you. Um, so anyway, there, here we are. This is the pre pre nineteen eighty three East Coast Main Line, and you can see there's this weird kink in Selby, and this is where the the, the Selby Swing Bridge is. There's a swing bridge that goes over the river uh, over the over the ooze there, um, and actually, is it the ooze or is it the air? No, it is the ooze. It is the ooze. Yeah, because the ooze is moving down. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's fine. I live here. I should know these things. And, and all these dark sections here, all these kind of big black splodges that we pl that I've placed here, are, are these kind of mining areas, these areas that were identified by what was at the time the National Coal Board um, as being viable areas to, to, to get coal, to get the, the black, dusty, sort of burny fossil stuff. And so what we need to do is explain what was then planned to extract that coal. So... There were several pits. So we had uh, Wistow Pit, uh, Stillingfleet Pit, North Selby Pit, uh, Rickall, uh, Whitemore, and then so these were all the pits. So these were kind of the the, the kind of the, so they had, they had like here we are. This is what the pit looked like. So it's just just really a, a kind of a head. The pits weren't large. They weren't huge facilities really. Um, a pit head, and then people went down and you know dug the coal. And then it was extracted. That coal was not extracted out of the pit head. It was sent up uh, what was known as a drift. And the drift was put in at Gascoigne Wood. And actually, that's now a massive, kind of fairly sizable kind of marshalling, well, not marshalling yard, a big big set of sidings and all sorts goes on there. But that that was um, was to be positioned here. And actually, uh, there was, it was, it's kind of on the main line. You can see that there's the there's this existing, uh, the existing main line going going through and the, the kind of the, the old road, as it was called, uh, between so the old road, which was the route between uh, Doncaster and York, the old East Coast Main Line used to actually, I believe, be. It was like, uh, was it this and then this, or was it basically it was a slightly weird route that was, or maybe it was this and then this. Anyway, well, the reason why that's relevant will become clear momentarily. But anyway, so all these pits were going to be built in these various sort of um, mine mine area kind of planning areas, um, and the issue with that is. If you extract a huge amount of material from under the ground, the ground is going to settle and sink. This is bad news. It's bad news for a couple of reasons. Oh, here's Gascoigne Wood Drift. You can see these. This is what the drift looks like. You can see this is a much more substantial. The pits weren't very big. I should have put a picture up. The pits weren't very big. Um, but the, the, the drift is substantial because there's a huge amount of infrastructure to process that coal. It would then get put automatically. It was a very sophisticated system. It was put automatically. You can see up here, these are some some uh, MGR kind of hopper wagons, some classic Shilden wagons. 
Um, these were put into what are known as MGR trains, merry-go-round trains. They were just coal was poured into them, and they literally went out, emptied the coal into, uh, you know, emptied that coal into the power stations along the Air Valley, and then came back. And it was just, and some of the coal went elsewhere, but by and large, it was just a massive energy generator. So, um, the reason this is bad, the reason it's bad that the the railway would sink, is because British Rail had just spent an enormous amount of money, um, upgrading tracks. And buying new trains, uh, particularly this thingy here, this this uh, this train here, this, this the, what was known as the yellow banana at the time, even though there's not much yellow on it. Yeah, the Intercity One Two Five. So the Intercity One Two Five was speeding up train journeys uh, uh, by quite a substantial amount, and it was understood that uh, you know, there were lots of you know, line speed upgrades as well. You know, increasing line speeds up to 125 miles an hour. The trouble is um, that. The undermining of the tr of the you know digging away the coal was either going to result in two things, the two options really. To to so the first was that you'd end up the railway would subside, uh, you'd have to put lots of temporary speed restrictions on until it was maintained, and all those extra temporary speed restrictions would basically totally undermine all of the journey time benefits of all these millions of pounds that've been spent on the East Coast Main Line. So that meant there was an option, there was an option, well two options really. Number one option: leave the East Coast Main Line where it is and then leave a kind of a column of coal underneath to allow the railway to sit on top of. So you don't extract that coal, you leave it there. But if you think about it, that is a huge, it represented hundreds of millions of pounds of, of, of left coal, right? Even in, even in those days. So that was a dreadful idea. So they thought, no, we're not going to do that. So that's uh, just tens of millions in those, in, in, their, in th that them days is money, but equivalent of hundreds of millions now. The other alternative was to divert the East Coast Main Line. Uh, and so that's exactly... The, the, so in those discussions between the National Coal Board and British Rail, the discussion was, right, okay, well... Uh, and in, indeed, in 1975, they were kind of deciding on what those plans were. They are like, right, okay, we need to dodge these areas where the coal is, right? Uh, 125 miles an hour equals 200 kilometers an hour. That's correct, yeah, Raphael. Yep, good chat. Um, so... There's all sorts of chat going on in the uh, in in, in the detour is uh, is saying those style of bridge decks with decks in section have become very popular with GB crack climbers recently. Some good ones in Edinburgh and Sheffield apparently, over rivers and canals. Oh, you're talking about uh, foliage? That's interesting. Um, original route was was Church Fenton Ferry Bridge, uh, L&Y to Shaftholme. Ah, interesting. Okay, thanks, Barry. Yeah, um, lovely. Uh, so, Matt Reed, your question: Why did the Selby diversion go to the left of Selby, and not the right? Is about to be answered. You'll be very pleased to know. Um, oh, Jermaine, I'm sorry I haven't leave you dinner. You'll catch up. Um, so uh, I will. Oh, yeah. Jermaine, I'll, I'll, I will answer your earlier question. Yeah. In fact, I'll do it now, which is so Jermaine asked whether the Selby Diversion is my favorite stretch of railway. No, it isn't. I don't think it is. I just find it fascinating. It's a very interesting, you know, it's just a very interesting bit of railway. My, one of my favorite bits of railways, possibly, certainly up there, is the West Coast Main Line through the Loon Gorge with the, the A6, the M6, the River Loon. And going through that era, that that for me, with it sweeping round the trains at full tilt, that's one of my faves. Anyway, right, enough of me waffling. In fact, not enough of me waffling, but I'm going to waffle more accurately. So, um, so we had a variety of options. The Selby diversion was there were a few different options as to what the Selby diversion was going to be. So, option one was actually to rely on a new cord that would have come up off the, um, actually what is the kind of fairly unused. It was basically it's, it's currently not used very much. It's a freight line, and it would it would have been sort of creating a cord which would have connected up to um uh, actually i've not quite drawn it at the top there you can sort of see where it, is. it would have come in and it would have connected up to the to these lines which would have then come up north and then and then there we go happy days um i'm trying to think what those are. those are the normanton lines aren't they where are we so yeah the the, the 
the they're the knock lines, aren't they? The NOCs, I think those the, the, those loads. So it would have connected, and that would have created this. Would have actually created a sort of a a reasonably viable route. However, um, the challenge with that was that it did not avoid the better part of quite a lot of of of, of coalfield. So. Yeah, so that wasn't perfect. So then there was another option, which was the Kellingly Spine. I think there are other structural issues as well, the reason why that was a problem. And there was something about gypsum that, that caused an issue. And actually, I think some of these also got in the way of RAF airfields. So the, so the Kellingly, so that was the Wormersley Cord. And the Kellingly Spine was another option, which broadly did the same thing. Then there was another option, which was the, the Sherburn Deviation, which would have retained the East Coast Main Line as far as Selby and then would have relied on the cord... That, uh, so there's there's a cord here that that actually curves up, and then puts you onto the lead to the lead Selby line, and that would have then and then the trains would have then come up this the, the Sherburne deviation, and then again join the knock lines, and away they go. So that would have avoided the it would have avoided the better part of, um you know this this section here uh, you know all the way up here is is the real problem. It would have avoided the better part of that and allowed you know allowed trains to kind of continue up. But it was not good from a journey time perspective. Um, so, uh, you know, and also capacity perspective, you know, uh, it, it would have involved mixing up trains on a pretty busy stretch of railway line, um, you know, this, this bit of year. So what else? Next option was, and here we are, Matt, this is what you kind of, you're asking the question, is indeed to create, well, actually not to create, is to reuse sections of the old Dermot Valley Light Railway. Uh, which was kind of still largely extant at that point, is to reuse that and actually to run, so to follow the Dermot Valley, to utilise some of that infrastructure where it was possible to do so, and then join in kind of around. So it was scooping its way around, for the most part, around the, the body of that coal, that kind of coal exploration area. It wasn't ideal. Again, it involved the, the retaining retaining the swing bridge and uh, and and actually not retaining this yeah it did involve retaining the swing bridge really not ideal so then there's another option which was to um to kind of incorporate to then avoid selby you then create and and, and reuse the what is currently a former main line but now only used to to bring kind of wood chip into drax to reuse the the former line there through along past drax was up here um and then rejoin that kind of Dermot valley route that was another option but again lots of um quite complicated civil engineering to achieve that and then there's this last little uh, idea here which was a fairly straightforward route um and you can see it there and and it would involve um a flying junction to link with the, the lead selby line and a, and a fairly nice fast alignment coming up and doing a good job of skirting around the outside of this coal area and this is called the colton extension uh that's the name of that option and indeed um in 1975, it was the Colton extension that was selected as the option to go forward to the Selby diversion. Anyway, meanwhile, in other places, meanwhile, uh, oh god, that's Clarkson, isn't it? I always forget that when I say that, it's because I'm impersonating Clarkson because I used to watch Top Gear when that was a thing. So, what time is it? It's it's the first of October 1964, and Tokaido Shinkansen has just started operation, and um, that's the first modern by modern definition. Actually, they were operating at 140 miles an hour off the bat, I think. So uh, a little bit tentative as to whether it falls under modern high-speed line definitions, actually. Um, and I don't think there was... A, so so bit touch and go, but I think 
we can give it to the Japanese that they created. Uh, if you ignore the fact there is a little slower than, than the modern definition of high speed, it was an entirely new standard gauge segregated system. So it ticks all the boxes for being a a, 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 a proper high speed line, other than maybe speed. But they did speed things up a bit um, once your dampers were a thing and they could run faster. The French were doing quite a lot of development on, on the, on the, for high-speed rail as well. They really were. But they were not the first to give, a, to give Europe high-speed line. Uh, actually, okay, this is, this, is, this is not controversial, but so the, Poland possibly came up with the first high-speed line. Now, go and do some research in the chat, and then maybe come back in the chat with which line in Poland was the first high-speed line. But the reason I put the Polish flag up here is because I can't, find i couldn't re remember which line potentially held this possible title of being europe's first high speed line but the, the kind of the first i think the rec the current one that holds the record is is italy and in, on the 24th of february 1977 so so kind of after the salvador version was being discussed but before it was being built um italy we have italy and they built the the rome to florence high speed line the diratessima uh, the which was the first European high-speed line, although possibly it wasn't if Poland, if I can get details about the Polish uh, line, but they currently hold the record. And and so that was the first line. And then a little bit later, so that was 77, quite a bit later on than that, you know, four years later, we had France coming along with um, with LGV Sud-Est and the, to be fair, absolutely stunning first series TGVs there looking just absolutely fantastic. That livery is is excellent and is probably the best graphic thing SNCF have ever created because their logo has always been dreadful and it really hasn't got any better since the, that era. Anyway, so that's that's a bit of what was going on elsewhere, but let's hop back yeah, back in Blighty. Uh, right, Polish State Railways started passenger service trains, uh, the PKP Pendolino operating at 200 kilometers an hour on an 80 kilometer line. Um, uh, Olzamowicz to uh, Zawirowicz, um, Zawirowicz, actually. Sorry, I'm, I'm putting South Slav pronunciations on Polish stuff. Apologies, everyone from Northern Slavic countries. Um, okay, so it's tenuous. Okay, so yeah, there's. Okay, thanks, Joseph June. Yeah, there's some discussion of that of that line being the. Then it was designed for up to seven fifty to two fifty kilometers an hour. It was in 1977. Okay, a little bit of, a little bit of. Um, more for that, pop that in the Discord server. So, okay, so the, the important thing is I've, I've put that slide in to make sure that everyone watching this and listening in, in audio-only form uh, knows that there is a bit of tenuous, like the, the Polish actually potentially got there first. So I don't want to discount the Polish from it, but the, all the data, all the information currently says that it was Italy. Anyway, back in Blighty, we have a dreadful relationship with high-speed rail. As you know, if you go back to episode six of Rail Matter and watch the APT episode, which is should be suitably entertaining, um, as you know, we have a dismal record with high-speed rail. But that said, in July 1979, the um, the British Railway Selby Bill was was passed as you know, giving you know, the act, as it were. Of uh, of creating a diversion or allowing the creation of a diversion of the East Coast Main Line to avoid the Selby Coalfield, so it was happening. A high speed line was being enacted because that's what it was. Uh, here's the design team, uh, and see if you can see Roger Bastin in, in amongst all this lot. Uh, I honestly, I think I honestly don't know which one Roger is. Roger, I, I, yeah, I'm not sure. 
Roger, I'm so sorry if I don't. This is Hugh. Hugh was the the kind of the, the lead engineer. He was essentially like the equivalent of, of a CEM nowadays. He kind of led the who's the lead engineering designer. But um, there's so many interesting tidbits in this, like this massive calculator here. Look at this thing. Uh, it's amazing. Yeah, and um, but where is where is Roger? Roger, where are you? I can't tell whether this is Roger. I think this is probably the PM because in front of it is a load of what appear to be like Gantt charts and stuff. So maybe this is like the project manager. I don't I don't know. These are all like the BR team um, uh, who were in charge of making it all happen. And actually, this is unfair because uh, Helen Natras is somewhere here. In fact, you know what? what? I don't want to put too many pictures up because these are all Hugh Fennick. In fact, Hugh, who I just arrowed to, these are all Hugh's photos. So thanks, Hugh, for, um, for, for letting me kind of uh, tell this story. Um, anyway, there's, there's, so there, there, Helen Natras was the engineering geologist who was, who, who was kind of, I think, was leading on some of the, certainly, I, I need to speak to Helen, actually. I'd love to chat to Helen and understand what she did on the, on the Selby diversion. But she was also uh, one of the key engineering geologists on the Channel Tunnel and, and was one of the save the day people when there were some, some failures when she was like, is this seawater? Uh-oh. And she, licked, she literally just licked it and, and it wasn't salty. And she's like, nope, it's just stuff leaching through the chalk mile. We're okay. Anyway. So there, there's the team. Thought I'd put up this photo. Feel sorry for the guy whose face is covered up, but anyway, um, and things started. So so designs were being done, but there was they were able to, but the, the you know some of the early works contractors were able to get out and do some preliminary works, including diverting some a gas pipeline, and some some HV power lines as well. So diverting kind of these power lines. So so the early works without the designs being finished, but the designs going from the the early so so the design they had two and a half years for the for the full design. But they had a year and they had eighteen months for to go from. Like, like very loose design for the act, which is like feasibility design, really. It's, it's kind of uh, design for, for contracts, tender design. To take it from tender design level to, to design for construction, 18 months, which is an incredibly short period of time. Uh, and indeed, so some of these preliminary works were happening. Indeed, they started construction on the whole road, roughly along what they, off the, the kind of the act route uh, alignment. And then surveying was going on all the, all the time. But in on the 29th of July, 1980, the works formally started. The main contract works formally started. Um, a, a, is it A.G. Monk? Anyway, Monk, con the contractor, which is Monk, um, started the work. They were the ones doing it. And I thought I'd put this picture in because of all of the hilarious... Uh, look at these. these firstly, the, the Porter cabins, which they did all the design out of. But also these fantastic... these 70s. Some epic car action going on. Look at these. Look at this, look at this one. Someone's someone's been paid too much. Crikey. Some very nice motors in there, isn't it? MG. Lovely. Uh and that looks to me like a Ford. Looks to me like a like a Cortina or something. Anyway, lovely. So work started. And and, and there's essentially so here we are, you can see that they're kind of cutting where the the earthworks gonna be, preparing the ground to start excavating and, and, and yeah, uh, and making the railway start appearing. And, and they had a bit of a race against time because they they were racing against... So at that point, so the work started in July 1980, they had a race against winter 81 because as soon as the ground freezes, there's not much you could do. So there's this tremendous, um, tremendous chase to to do all this prep work and get... So, so you see they're starting to do preparatory works in terms of, you know, putting things like culverts in to get this whole road built. So to, what, what, we, what a whole road, H-A-U-L, uh, whole road, is a, a road that you build to move the materials along the route of your linear infrastructure, whatever it happens to be. Um, I mean, you, you have whole roads in other places for non-linear infrastructure. You know, any civil engineering project has a, often will have a whole road. But for railways, we, we have the benefit of we can use that whole road 
to put the railway on eventually. So so we, we, by preparing the infrastructure where that whole road can go, and HS2 is doing this, you know, the, the whole road, in fact, a lot of the plans re revolve around the idea of you, by using that whole road, staging the works around that whole road, you avoid all the potential disruptive moves, you know, vehicle maneuvers and, and, and traffic uh, impacting local communities. So things like this Bailey Bridge that was put in to cross, uh, cross uh, you know, there are examples of these Bailey Bridges put in all over the place to provide that whole road to start, you know, and they're putting this hardcore down, all this sort of work in prep for, for building the railway. And, and you can see they're starting to put this hardcore down uh, in readiness to, to put the alignment through. So playing with the pudding. Right, what do I mean by this? Well, um, oh golly. Right, uh, let me just go back one and then get rid of all the... Why on earth are there animations in this? I don't know. I, I don't know what I was doing. I presume I was creating images with a copy-paste text box that had an animation on it without me realizing, right, here we are. Uh, what was I waffling on about? So... Yes, um, this is a little slice of the geology through the through the roots, and the reason I put this on is because uh, good grief, I need to change let me change the color. Let's go to let's go for red, shall we? Let's get our, get our red back. So the reason I put this up is to explain some of the challenges on this line because there are some serious geological challenges with the with the railway through here. Um, right, so gen on the move, controversial as it might be, I'm a petrol head. Yeah, I just said that on a rail natter. That's going to confuse some people, isn't it? I love cars. Uh, there we are. That's confusing. But it's, it's all right to like them and be fans of, of, of cars, but also simultaneously want us to all do less of that. Um, you know, And you know that I, I don't drive a big snazzy car. Dean and I have the smart. Anyway, so, uh, right, geology. So here's, here's Templehurst Junction at the southern end. This is where the, the, the Selby diversion would split off. Um, and then you can see it kind of coming along here. In fact, I think this is the vertical alignment you can see. So they've, they've got the vertical alignment. So generally, it's slightly above ground. Now, it's dealing with this sort of horrible, sandy, gravelly rubbish, actually, that's, that, that the railway is having to be built on top of it. And it's frankly not very good. It's really poor quality. Uh, this, this sort of horrible, silty, clay rubbish. So is this one that the majority of the railway is built on top of, this sort of silt or clay, and it's awful. And every now and then there's a nice bit here that the Selby Canal built on Bunter Sandstone that's a nice solid bit of railway, and you can tell when you go through that. There's a little bit of a climb that the railway cuts through that part. And there's, there's some more trees around this bit, actually, because it's kind of... Uh, because those are the conditions. Uh, and then there's a bit... And then you drop down and you've got more pudding. And it's like a skin. It's like a custard layer of skin with just soup underneath. And it's only really when you kind of you there's a little bit of a climb and then a drop and then you by by the time you're on Colton Junction you're you're onto Boulder Clay, which is a much more stable surface to build on. But so for the much of the route, it's this horrible pudding. Um, it's just yeah, not uh, not great. Um, Katie Fenn also loves cars and wants to consign them to history. I can not not alone. Matt Reed is asking uh, if he's turned into the correct rail natter. You, you have, I promise. Um, uh, John Christopher's going yay rocks there's some good licking potential in these rocks yeah absolutely the bunch of sandstone is probably a bit coarse but uh, yeah so rocks many rocks actually John Christopher is there anything you can say about some of these uh, as, as, a, as a proper rocks nerd um, these, this, these, these are challenging conditions. If you if you looked at these, uh, no coal in the geology. Wasn't that the point of the Selby line? Yeah, the coal is in um, the coal is actually quite deep. They're quite deep mines, so I believe that the coal seams are within the Bunter sandstone. I think, but remember that we are a bit further away from the the main area here as well. So that that probably adds adds to the complexity. It's interesting. There's some like weird. Like this, this stuff here, weird. Remember, this is like hyper exaggerated as well. So this is this is like stretched a lot in this dimension. So actually, all of this, it, it, it's to scale. It's probably just like a tiny little thin slice, like 
you know, we're, we're in dimension, that's probably like a kilometer of like if it was to scale, that'd be a kilometer. And actually, this is you can see it's all like super, super exaggerated in the vertical plane. Um, John Christopher saying, what makes the clay so difficult to build on? Oh, is it just a high erosion rate or something? No, it's because it's it's um, very low level, uh, very saturated. Um, and it's really so it, it, it settles horribly as well. So it just continues. To, so it's really bad condition to build on. It's just not, uh, it's, it's a really poor, there's a lot of issues with track quality on all the railway lines that were in that map earlier that I showed you. All of those that cut across this um, silt or clay that's, that's in this area, all of them have really like really challenging ride and require a lot of extra maintenance. And in fact, quite a lot of heavy work has been going on recently to put in piling and drop loads of ballast in underneath to try and stabilize the tracks. Anyway, right, enough of that. Here's some work showing them building that. You can see them building that hole. Now, this is interesting. The reason why they've got this, why they're not sending... The whole road. So you can see this is the whole road going here, but the, the whole road's going around the top of the cutting rather than going through. Now, the reason for that is because they want to minimize the traffic load through here because they don't want to unduly damage and unload the um, the route that the railway's going to be built on. So it's quite interesting to know I found out. Thanks, Hugh, for giving me all the insights. And actually, what might be interesting for everyone um, is that in some cases, this is all they did to prepare the ground for the railway to be built on. This still got it. Look, it's still over here. You can see it's still got. You know, it's not even ploughed. <laughs> it's still, it's still got crops growing in it, and they literally laid this. This is a geosynthetic. They literally laid this down, and then just stitched, you know, stapled it together, and then plonked the railway on top. You know, they start they started plonking, kind of laying the the heart, the, the kind of the, the core of the new earthwork on top of that. So just straight on top of the the field, which is quite interesting. Um, so here is. The old railway at Templehurst, which was a serious challenge. Now, the challenge they had was that they, they reckoned that the earthwork was already overburdened. So that means that it was already ready to fail with traffic going over the top. So any of the work at... Right, okay, so before I talk anymore, DripFed has got, some, has got some very useful information. Bunch of sandstone is Triassic. The coal is deeper still. It's Carboniferous. Ah, fantastic. Oh, that would make sense. Yeah, okay, so it's deeper. So it's it's within the... Um, so it's very deep. So so there's that angle. That, there's an angle, uh, a bedding angle, I'd imagine, and it comes up at, at Barnsley. They crop up in Barnsley. The whole coal seam is named Bar after Barnsley because that's where it... it essentially hit the i presume it was at its most shallow so people noticed coal and went oh i'll dig this up um but it's very by the time it gets to selby it's quite deep which is why it was um selby was this you know a much more modern coal field because it was much deeper much more complicated and it was only the cost of coal rising up that justified that digging thank you drifted that's fantastic excellent information um so here is the work going on at Templars. Basically, where this this work here, where, where am I? Where's my mouse? This is where. So at the bottom of the Selby diversion, you've got the bit where there's the old East Coast mainland, and the Selby diversion sort of peels off at, at kind of high speed and goes in this direction. And this, this is to Selby, uh, and this is to this is to to York on the on the new line. This is this is the old line here, if you like. Um, and this was East Coast mainline, and trains were still running on it, and they weren't allowed to de allowed to delay any of these you know HSTs coming through at full speed. You know, 100 miles an hour coming up the line. So the work, the geology, you know, the, the engineering geology that had to go on here was pretty spectacular. Uh, and you can see there's this very carefully staged approach to building up um, kind of where the railway was going to kind of divert off uh, off from. So, so yeah, some serious, interesting civil engineering work. Helen is probably in this shot somewhere. 
uh, yeah, she's she, somewhere. You can see all this work. There's a lot of, of kind of monitoring of the pore water pressure throughout to make sure that it, it's not overburdening or causing that there to be a failure on the on the East Coast mainland. Um, yeah, serious work. Right, the bridges, the structures. We've talked about these. Here you can see some of the piers being put in. There's nice piers. You can see they're at a funny angle with the whole road. Already you can see this one's at quite a quite a dramatic angle. The whole road is this way. You can see the piers are kind of quite off at quite the spectacular angle to that. So here we are. So here's some of the piers. Someone else asked, do they have to be special um, piling work for... In fact, it was Matt, wasn't it? There's a, a load of stabilisation work and, pil and piling work that was done. I've not got the pictures in here because I don't want to shoot... I don't want to take too many of Hugh's images, but there are some really interesting and, and, and bespoke and novel piling solutions developed, some micro-piling solutions developed for some of the structures that were on the railway. Generally not the overbridges because they didn't carry much load, but for the railway bridges, they, they had this sort of patterned piling uh, design that was used, patterns of kind of micro-piles that the railway then kind of, to avoid, the, is basically essentially managing the fact that there was not very long for the earthworks to actually stabilise and, and, and settle over the period of the of construction before the railway needed to run. So they needed to almost manage some of that differential settlement and differential stiffness between the the tough structures and the softer earthworks um so here you go here's the railway coming through you can see some of those piers being built here we go with the with those nice kind of preformed you see these these preformed parapet units down down here at the bottom bottom here and um, being lifted into place so that's very nice you see those structures being built very nice what's interesting is you can see the route of the road here that you've got traffic lights because the old road of course there's no there's no railway here originally this is just just a regular road so the the regular road has a, a, a traffic light with the whole road coming through which is quite interesting and actually i think this is the these are the bridges we were looking at earlier i think this is now this is the line that comes down towards uh well towards the ooze and then going this way you're, you're heading towards up towards bilbra top and the and the, the macadies that everyone gets their gets their scran from and parks they park here and if I was my little filming that I was doing recently was behind this bridge, you know, my little teasers for tonight's episode was dimmed down behind this bridge. Uh, this is the bridge that we were looking at overhead. That's the old one uh, earlier. We were looking at this, and then the new one that we we're looking at is this one. Is is this this one is the one we were looking at uh, that for my two overhead pictures I was using earlier. But you can see them building it here. So you can see this is this is all being built to a nice standard to you know make it all safe and good and etc. So um, here is. Uh, and here's some other structures. There, there are also intersection bridges. Now, this is interesting because this is an old level crossing here. See the old gates. Um, uh, and what's interesting is that this is a, a rail-on-rail level crossing that was used until um, until quite late on. They're using both, and the, the, there's the road. There's actually a road bridge built, so they had road vehicles going over here. You can see the. Uh, there's a nice. Uh, what is that? Is that? A, oh, what is that? Is that class one two four? Nerds out there, uh, class one two four. Um, It'd be nice if, uh, yes, um, be any, anyone can back me up on that one. But anyway, there's an intersection bridge. This is the intersection bridge with the, so this is the this is the um, the the kind of that that way is Leeds, uh, and this way is Selby. Uh, there we are, there's Selby, and then the and then another direction here going is is the Selby diversion, which is kind of coming off screen this way is uh, is down to Doncaster, and then and then that way to York. There we are. Um, so this is kind of this inter the, the the major intersection structure, including the junction uh, kind of connection, the cords to connect it up as well. Now the other major structure, there is a huge structure of Ryder Viaduct with its however many hundred meters span, I think four hundred meter uh, length in total. Lots of individual spans. Is it nineteen spans maybe, or even more than that? I can't remember. I don't have the stats in front of me. Actually, you know what? I did actually bring up. Let me do this. See if I see if I've been clever and actually recorded. Uh, what are the facts? So oh. 
so okay, some facts that I can tell you about. Uh, so, the, the, so the Temple Hearst I told you about. There is they're expecting. Oh, this is interesting. So, so that junction I was talking about earlier. They're expecting one point four meters of settlement at that at that junction. So that's a huge amount of ground settlement over time. So you can understand why that was. Yeah, and the existing earthwork had zero factor of safety against failure. They weren't allowed to say, there we are. So there were, oh yeah, so while we're talking about bridges, there are 35 major structures, uh, of which 15 were over bridges. That's something going over the railway. And they were all founded on piles. So all of the structures were founded on piles, but the, it was the railway structures that had some of those kind of more complex piling patterns. Um, and so, yeah, those piles went right down to the sandstone. They went right through the custard soil to the to the sandstone. Um, and so this is, so this is the so so while yeah let's go back to this because it is fun to talk about the the level crossing so this was a rail on rail flat crossing for a while um, or rather should we say it wasn't a flat crossing it was a level crossing with the whole road with no track on it <laughs> going through so it wasn't it was like a, a non-existent railway crossing a the the real rail and for a while both alignments existed and and, and I I'd be interested to know if they both you were used but two there were two versions of the line because obviously they were realigning they had to realign. Uh, the this to get this to build this new earthwork actually what they did was they slightly realigned the lead selby line which is originally a straight line so it's got a slight like curving away then curving back for this intersection bridge to be built um so that they could you know keep running the railway on the existing alignment and so what's interesting is that you have um firstly you can see that on the map which is quite interesting to, to see where the alignment's just been shifted north a little bit but also yeah you have the, you had two paralleling railway alignments for a while which is quite cool um oh, it's 26 spans was the was the ride of viaduct yeah 26 spans which is quite a yeah that's quite a beast um crikey so here's the ride of viaduct sorry so with, with its with its uh many 26 spans you can see all the individual spans here them all coming kind of you can, you can see them all here kind of right you can see all these spans uh kind of all these ones coming along here um and uh here, this is a nice view looking down across that structure it looks quite grand here i love this picture it's really good uh, you can see Monk, Monk, the contractors here. There's Monk. Monk were generally pretty good. They screwed up some of their quality control on some of the um, on some of the precast, uh, kind of the pre-prepared cast pile rigs, some issues. But um, yeah. Oh wait, Barry, where are you? Barry, you answered the question, but I didn't see the answer. Someone's saying it's probably a one, two, three. Uh, okay, yeah, thanks, thanks for the nerditure there. Um, right, there is. There's, there's a nice picture of the of Radovado being put together. Uh, and, and again, another one, nice, nice, uh, nice preparatory work here. Uh, they did design it to provide a certain level of passive provision for electrification because the expectation was that it would be electrified very soon. Actually, the electrification they had that was originally planned and it was supposed to happen because the, there's preparation for the big electrification. The big 1981 electrification report was happening. They thought they'd finally get the rolling program. But they weren't allowed to do anything. They, there were lots of bits of passive provision they weren't allowed to do. So that to be, the engineers had to be very clever to um, to, to, to avoid uh, doing anything too obviously OLE focused. Uh, again, because the National Coal Board weren't interested. And here we go. There's the Rye Divide up with a, with a nice tamper there going through, a nice vibrating pad going through these whacker plates and kind of smoothing, getting the, the ballast nice and smooth, ready to lay the track on top. Looks very smart, doesn't it? Very nice. Right, another structure was, and we, so we've already talked about the earthworks down here that have got all this settlement. These are the earthworks we were looking at earlier. Now, this is the viaduct over the over the wharf, over the river wharf. Actually, you can see some of the piling going on here. You can see some of the larger piles, and actually, there, there's then this this sort of fan. There's like a fan of of piles of kind of patterned piles that were happening here, and then likewise on on this side. Actually, there's there's lots of piling that that happened. Piling where you you kind of put a concrete column down either relying on skin friction with the soil or 
to put the thing down on to support it on on solid rock. So here you go. Here you can see the um, the the kind of the, the under construction. Then you can see the temporary Bailey Bridge down here, which is quite nice as well. Um, right, these two are the British Rail. Firstly, they've got this fantastic yellow British Rail van, which is awesome. Uh, secondly, these are the divers, these specialist divers that went down to 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 help support and construct the um, wharf son of Moog, Yes, Katie Fenn. Uh, that helped to construct the 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 caissons to then build the. As you can see, this these this caisson work, these caissons here. Um, so to, to talking of caisson, which is also a, a Star Trek reference, right? These caissons to build the support piers, right? Now, absolutely tragically, these two were killed in an explosion. I think a gas explosion at another site after the salvage diversion was built. These two were, they're pretty, apparently pretty gruff and tough and ready chaps who just went out and, and got on with it. But uh, yeah, it's quite interesting. And there's there's the bridge. And actually, it's being, it's being built in quite a modern way because they built it here. And then they're actually launching it out across the piers, which is which is it's quite a modern way of constructing a bridge deck, which is quite cool. Um, so there we go. Dripfed is saying uh, that the tallest building in the world currently is 828 meters tall. Yeah, the Burj, uh, they always change its name, but you know, the, the one that's in Dubai. Uh, the deepest mine shaft at the Selby Coalfield was over a kilometer 10. It was, was 1,043 meters. Uh, crikey, that's an excellent fact. Here you can see a nice barge doing some construction work. Uh, very nice. This used to, weirdly, this is a railway, <laughs> uh, a railway to avoid carrying coal. Uh, to, to avoid coal excavation over the top of several navigations that carried that still carried coal. I think it was only really like seventeen like while well, during construction possibly the last coal barges would come through. But it was the late seventies, early eighties where the last coal barges going to Ghoul stopped carrying coal along the navigations. Right now for the exciting stuff, track time. So you have this wonderful bed of laid track to very decent accuracy. But it's it's uh, sorry, a ballast all laid uh, bottom ballast as well, not the full ballast, but the bottom ballast. But there's um there's more to be done, uh, and so this this bottom ballast here is being laid to a tolerance of kind of um plus zero minus fifty millimeters. So it's had to it couldn't be higher than it's supposed to be. It could only be a little bit um could only be a little bit lower than than planned, so that they didn't end up putting the railway too high. So so there is the there's the kind of the accuracy of the of the of the, the bottom ballast they're getting put in. Uh, and you can see you now if I was the next picture, you can see here. Oh, actually, there's a there's a whole. Um, so there was there was a temporary sort of railhead built to to transport all the materials in, just like you see with with HS2. There's a, a temporary railhead built to bring all those materials in so that they could lay track materials. And actually, you can see up here there is um, the tracks have been laid in this picture, but the ballast, the the kind of the final ballast, the topping ballast hasn't been put on. But anyway, that's also what's interesting about this one is you can see the um, the under construction cord. Actually, no. So what's happening here? This is the, this is the under construction. So I was talking about the war, the, the crossing, the intersection bridge there. You can see the level crossing actually. So that level crossing I was talking about earlier, where that class, that class one twenty three was here, and the photo earlier was was looking in this direction. Um, that's an eyeball, by the way. If you wonder what, I'm, it's 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 really bad. I should be doing that, and it's that, and it's an eyeball, and we're looking this way. Anyway, uh, scratch all that away. This is the intersection bridge. You can see there's no railway. There's there's the the railway is doing a level crossing here with the the whole road, and these are actually I think these are under construction substations. In fact, they definitely are. The substations built. I've stood next to one uh, here, um, with. Uh, with Roger Bastin interviewing Roger Bastin here. Uh, anyway, the railway goes through here, and you can see these. This is the cord being built, constructed actually, uh, and likewise, they've actually made more progress with the cord on this side. 
Um, so there's the chord being constructed, and you can see the the, the, the two different alignments next to each other. Anyway, enough of that. Um, that's the railhead. There's the load of sleepers being brought in, ready for laying. So first of all, they bring the rails out. Um, they kind of they they tamp down the, the ballast to that level of accuracy to, to the alignment, including kind of rotating it if the track's you know, for the super elevation. Indeed, here you can see that super elevation. Then they lay a bunch of rollers out to a specific width. Those rollers then have the the rail the, the sleepers are dropped between the rollers and the uh, and the rails are then dropped onto the rollers, so you can see the rollers here and then the rollers so the rollers this is the, the process is right so first of all the rollers are put out the rails are put down and the sleepers are dropped and then as the rails are then used to then pull so the train comes pulls those rails off the rollers and onto the sleepers uh, which on which the train is actually rolling along so it's quite a, a kind of clever process to, to make that happen you can see here they've got a load of these spaced rollers you can see the the rails being pulled from the side up onto the the actual sleepers um there we go so there's there's a there's a unimog hauling those uh, rails out along the rollers uh, and then then a train comes along that actually wheels along the the rails placed at the 10 foot spacing rather than on the sleepers to then drop sleepers in so you can see there's there's, there's an example of one of these funny uh thingamagummies going along the, the rails at the side and then dropping the sleepers in at the appropriate 650 millimeter spacings and there you go you see some sleepers placed with the nice pads these lovely um f27 sleepers marvelous modern modern kit that and we still use f this f27s are absolutely ubiquitous in the uk and then you can see this little device coming along and and swizzing those rails over and you can see all the small parts down here all these clip all the clips there's some nice pr401as the ferrules uh, and the pads all there just to just all the small bits and pieces and actually these yet orange things are biscuits of which i've got some up on the top of the shelf that uh, i can't there's a pr401a in gold behind me the golden pandrel clips a pr401a anyway uh so uh, right let's see here um lots of good facts coming along here yeah wharf never did meet the case on it's true um, yes. So serious facts. Thanks. Thanks very much to the um, to 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 Dripfed, who's giving us lots of very interesting geology information. Um, so, uh, anyway, what am I waffling on about? Yes, right. Of course, it's not just plain line track. There is, of course, uh, oh, we're ten minutes late already. Our special long boy at Colton Junction, which we have to bring up. Uh, and here is uh, Colton Junction under construction at, um, I think, at Beeston, which is still where we, we assemble S&C today. You can see they've got some other interesting layouts being put together over here. Uh, some some interesting panel work going on. And indeed, it's all sat on top of quite an interesting load of S&C itself. But here are the uh, equal splits being assembled for the first time before being taken out for construction. Um, it, uh, at, 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 you know, near Nottingham, there we are. There's the two lines splitting. These It's just stunningly elegant, isn't it? Here's the switch diamond here. Oh, it's lovely. It's grand. Um, Matt Reed is asking what the rubber pads do. The rubber pads. So where are we? there's the rubber pads. Those rubber pads uh, absorb dynamic load, and they and they provide a, a nice, good force uh, kind of load distributing interface between the the steel and the concrete. So they provide a dynamic connection between those two elements, um, which means that the the railway becomes resilient. It used to be that we built railways to be rigid. Now we know that resilience is good. So having certain levels of elasticity between the different layers allows it to, to last a lot longer. Um, so there it is being assembled. Here it is being lifted into place. And it was indeed at the time on timber sleepers. So you've got concrete plane line and then you've got timber bearers for the, um, you know, timber bearers, not sleepers, timber bearers for the assembled S&C. 
It's a load of snazzy, all this troughing root over here, crikey. Uh, kind of uh, follow the end of this arrow so you can see it. All this troughing root sort of laying around here, crikey. Um, yeah, you can see all the all the kind of the S and C panels there. Uh, you can see the the beam that's just dropped in some of the panel work. It's all quite spectacular. And there it was just after being laid. Here you have the equal splits at Colton. Looking pretty spectacular. There's a distinct. It looks weird without the OLE, but there it is. Uh, and there there are two bridges that we saw earlier. There's the old one and then the the old one and then the new one up there. So um, yeah. So uh, there it is Colton Junction. And indeed, um, it's not the only SNC that was on the job. Of course, there was the SNC at the um, at the cords to to split up at Hamilton Junction, Hambleton Junction. That is. Um, uh, it's, what's quite nice here is actually you can see this uh, sliding buffer stop built on the on this sort of uh, trap points here. To but it's actually an extended traps to. I don't know if they've maintained that actually. I think they, I don't know if they've got. I have to check next time I go. I think they've got rid of this and they've just de-risked it. Maybe there's just a small set of um, of traps here rather than this this sort of longer Ita like european style proper protecting sort of shunt anyway uh there it is all, all looking quite finished at this point they're back uh, there like some nice structures um and indeed on the 16th of may 1983 uh the first trains were running the first passenger trains running it wasn't running as a high speed line at this point look how shiny and lovely this I, so this is why i thought it merited appearing on the architecture of the railways built because I think these look really fantastic. Actually, there's a good story about the the formwork. So the, the kind of the formwork to give that nice little pattern that you can see this sort of ribald sort of pattern you can see on these on on the kind of the the, the, the parapets. Um, Roger Bastin himself was driving through. I think he was driving through like Durham, uh, like somewhere in Durham, and spotted some of the motorway bridges being uh, that were being built on the A1M at, at the time. I think there's a section of motorway being built, and he quite liked the formwork, so he filched some. <laughs> just filch some and they use that for these bridges it's fantastic anyway um oh james p says you can still see the trap on google maps oh yeah very well there we go that's that's fine that answers that question so um so they were running services um they were actually running them using this bit so they were running down and going off towards selby using this section to allow them to sort of start uh, you know start doing the work to close the the existing railway but um the Selby Diversion opened as Britain's first high-speed railway. Now, why am I saying that? It's because... So here it is, this lovely picture of Open for Business Monday. Um, uh, everyone looking very excited and, and, and quite a nice... Uh, it's, it's quite a funny picture. I quite like this one. Because on the 3rd of October, 1983, the Selby Diversion opened fully, full high-speed operation. Actually, not quite full high-speed operation because they, they opened it running at 60 miles an hour initially to just bed all the track in. But... The reason I call it, the reason it, I, I classify it as a high-speed line, yes, we were not, I, I grant you there is some level of tenuousness to this because the trains were not running at 250 kilometers an hour. But the infrastructure was built with the capability of actually running at 270 kilometers an hour. The alignment was built as such. The structure clearances was all built... Sadly, this is they kind of there's a bit of a step back because the OLE, OLE is very speed specific and the OLE would have to be completely rebuilt to allow much higher speeds. But the um, the alignment as it was then was built with the capacity to you'd only need to run through and recant it and and potentially widen the the, the six foot a little, but it could be could have been run as a high speed line with very little intervention. So, uh, oh, people are asking why this junction connection was only a single track line. It's because this is a um, I mean, firstly, good point. 
but also um, it's a lot it connects it, it, it's not used that often it's used but pr pretty much entirely by um, kind of local passenger services running up towards Selby and, and obviously we had to shrink wrap it and so we it's not a double track connection but trains are sufficiently infrequent that there's not too much of a capacity hit to cause any headaches by them coming down this single line which is bi-directionally operated and then there's a crossover kind of behind behind this the photographer there's another crossover to, to to right road them anyway right um so all that good stuff and of course here is here is there's that one of my favorite pictures which is indeed one of my desktop backgrounds of this hst with the where they've run out of the correct color numbers at the uh, at the depot they've all, already with these not having run that long and they're already running out of the number the correct colored numbers to to, <laughs> to place the numbers on the front of the train um on the, on the nose of that um class 43 but yeah, you can see those bridge, bridges, I think, look fantastic. I think they look really smart and snazzy, and they've all got this style. So they, it is a distinctive... This is why it justifies being on the architecture roads, but it's this distinctive style. And um, and there it is. There's, there, there's the, and it was, as I say, 270 kilometers an hour, which is more than 250, which is why I call it Britain's first high-speed railway. And there's Colton Junction, as, as it is when I took some pictures of it in summer. Uh, there's the, the glamour shot, as it were, with the, uh, with the OLE there, looking wonderful. Um, and indeed so, right. So high-speed one, not Britain's first high-speed railway. Now let's think about high-speed one. So on the 6th of May 1994, the, the channel opened-ish. Uh, uh, actually, it was a little bit, it was, a little, it was when the Queen went through it. It was a little longer before passenger trains were running. But here's, uh, do you remember when we liked the French? Uh, that was nice. I, I, miss, I miss liking our European neighbours. We have to hate them all now, don't we? That's the, that's the law. We get shouted at if we don't. And it took us, so, so at that point, we were running the high-speed trains on... Uh, as I said in, in my like pre-recorded bit at the start, we were running them on on third rail network into Waterloo, which was hopeless. It took until the sixth of November two thousand seven before we actually finally opened a truly dedicated and indeed having high speed trains on it, you know, high speed line, uh, which was HS one, which should have been called just kept as the Channel Tunnel Rail Link. But there it is. Um, high, that's high speed one, which is not high speed one <laughs> and shouldn't be. Uh, yeah, so so I mean, this plaque is wrong. This is in, it's, it's lying to us. This is these these are uh, this is this is is lies. Uh, it's not true. It's not Britain's first high-speed railway. I begrudge that uh, plaque, which you can see when you come up out the uh, out of the underground and come into onto onto HS1. Um, it is very nice, and obviously HS1 is 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 kind of it's interesting because the Selby diversion is. Is actually quite similar to High Speed One in its specification. Uh, High Speed One is like the best of nineteen, you know, like twentieth century rail technology. It's very much built as a as an LG. It's an extension of an LGV into into the UK. It, it was built by the French. Uh, it's a French design. It's it's very much a French LGV extended up into into St Pancras, built to that design, and um, and it's it's very much old style ballasted high speed line. HS Two will be. Uh, unless the government get their way, I'm waiting for all the horrible announcements. HS2 will be uh, will be a 21st century railway. Anyway, so let's go through the diversion list of firsts before we hit half past. Uh, was the name high speed one a propaganda term to leverage support for other high speed lines? No, I don't think so. Uh, Dave is asking if anything has run at 250 plus in the Selby section. No, it hasn't. Uh, make a new plaque which calls Selby diversion the zeroth uh, high speed line in Britain. That would satisfy me very much. We should do that, uh, John Christoph. You're right. Um, yes, everyone's saying HS0. Uh, Matt Reed, you're right. We should call it HS0, shouldn't we? Matt, everyone. So, right, firsts. The Selby diversion had a lot of firsts, and I think it's worth just kind of pointing out 
this isn't even an exhaustive list, but it's a few of the really interesting ones. So the Selby Diversion was the first UK rail project to use total station theodolites and computerized survey plotting. So this is the first time we were using total stations, like equipment that rather than just using like a, a kind of a single theodolite, total station theodolites that computerize the data, computerize the angles to output the distances and allow you to map and plot the shape of the land and then where things are going to be through computers. So that was a that's an interesting first, uh, as I say, so computerized survey plotting. Um, it was the first UK rail project to use computer-aided design for the alignment and the earthworks. So the, the design was undertaken through a, a software package called MOSS. Now, MOSS didn't look like this at the time. This is like a, what MOSS looked like in its later years. Um, MOSS would have looked very BBC Computer when it was first appearing. But MOSS was um, a software package developed for by, by North Yorkshire and Durham County Councils, I think, a joint collaboration because they were building highways motorways in the through the 70s and they wanted to computerize it they wanted to move you know this is what happens by the way if you want to have innovation world uh, but particularly westminster if you want innovation fund local authorities properly because innovation is what local authorities can actually do very very well when they're funded properly um moss became um what was later called mx uh, MX Rail, uh, MX was bought by Bentley and turned into uh, a combined with inroads in package to become InRail, and then that developed into what is now known as, as Bentley Rail Track, which is the software package that I use to design railways, direct lineage to Moss. So yeah, weirdly, Moss is a design package that we still use. And I have to be honest, the user interface for Bentley Rail Track is nominally better than this, but only nominally. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, so anyway, yeah, so that was a, that's a first for Selby Diversion. There it is. There's the interface. Um, and uh, it was the first UK new UK mainline for several decades, for like 75 years, actually. So for three quarters of a century. And to use a single... And, and it was the first then, for that long, to be using a single design language for, its, for, for kind of its structure. So there's, the, there's, a, there's a Class 47 hauling a bunch of Mark IIs, uh, or possibly Mark IIIs. Uh, what was it, mid-70s? So, yeah, it would have been Mark III's. Uh, anyway, basically, there's a, a concept drawing of what the Rider Viaduct was going to look like, and it, to be fair, it's pretty authentic. That's pretty much what it ended up looking like. Um, likewise, the structures, the, the kind of the idea of what the structures were going to look like. So the, the, the overbridges, sorry, the, the, those overline structures. Uh, and you can see it's, it's quite, quite a good sketch to give you an idea of what they look like. There's, there's our chap here. He's got no helmet on. He's got a high-vis tabard, but at least he's raising his hand, which is, which is good. Um... So, single design language. So, it's me using waffly architectural speak. What I mean is, um, much like you see on the railways when they were built, you know, 100, 150 years ago, um, you have a design aesthetic. So, the way that all the structures are designed to look very similar. You can go along any given railway that was built by one company back in the day, and you'll see that their structures are built to a common style, um, a common design language in other words uh and, and it's a good thing for for kind of people understanding that's their railway that's what that's what that railway looks like and and, and in a way it's it's a good thing it's interesting it's it's nice to build things that are good that that, that have an an aesthetic appeal that have a there's a, we, we have a civil responsibility to build things that that are nice that, that look nice that are appealing for the people who have to then live with them or use them and um, and of course the Selby diversion up at Colton Junction involved the UK's first 200 kilometer an hour 
or 125 mile an hour switches. Here they are, of course, at Colton Junction. The footbridge is still under construction at this point, which is quite interesting. Uh, a footbridge of which, on, upon which I stand quite regularly. There's a nice sign saying Colton Junction. This is weirdly my exact desktop background on this window, which is strange seeing it pit like that. There's another picture here, and the reason I put this up is it's interesting that they use uh, so they use cutaways still in this period, which is kind of funny. You've got this modern railway, and then it's using knackered old cutaways. Um, but this says 60 here, and the reason it says 60 is what I was talking about earlier. It's because they the initial operation on the line was indeed to 60 miles an hour to allow everything to bed in and then it was increased to 100 and then to 125 miles an hour once they were confident that all that settlement had, had occurred and everything was safe and then they could pass a tamper along and smooth it out where it had settled in it, you know, where there had been differential settlement where kind of the line had settled but maybe some of it had settled kind of at a different rate. Um, oh, right, this is going to be... That was very loud and some of you will have had a heart attack. This is going to be really loud... But uh, I thought you'd um, enjoy some clips of trains going through Colton Junction, just gratuitously. I think there's possibly some chat going on in them. Hopefully there's nothing uh, incriminating. I bet there's me being really embarrassing, so I have to deal with that. So uh, cover your ears for a bit of noise, because this might be loud. And, and this video that I'm about to play is quite a pleasing one for anyone who enjoys HSTs and the application of HST power on mass. Uh, apologies for that bit of loud noise that happened there, particularly for the audio-only listeners who have literally spat their cornflakes out. <laughs> That is the sound of an HST going to uh, going to absolutely full tilt, maximum, you know, maximum notch, making all the magic happen. It's quite quite pleasing, anyway. I should probably feel like so Kelly's up to something when the world partners installed, and I love it. Yeah. Sorry, it's paused because I've just reduced the volume a little bit. I'm going to pull the volume down a little bit. Yeah, it's quite lively. Quite a bit more. Yeah. More. How, that's probably fine, isn't it? So, um, this is us a little bit of a distance coming up to Colton Junction, but I thought it'd be interesting. It's recently laid. It's pretty smooth. It's not too bad. It's me talking. It's embarrassing. It's interesting. It's good that there is. See now. Yeah. Just to point out what's being said, I don't know how clearly you can hear the, the driver speaking there. So we're at 90 at this point, accelerating towards 90. The HST is actually pretty sluggish uh, compared to all the electric traction that's on there. So the, he's saying the Mark IV. What he means is the 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 class ninety one with the Mark IVs and DVT. Um, that would be much faster at this point. But what he's saying, the driver is describing. So the point, the thing that the driver wanted to impress upon me. I'd already been. There's a video that I'd maybe share with 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 the people on the the Patreon people because it's quite interesting uh, of of pulling out of York, which is really interesting. So the first thing I did sitting in the train when I had my cab ride was that uh, there's a 158 coming straight towards us on the track while we were sat in the platform and just diverted on a crossover. I went to that and I was like immediately I realised, right, this is why being a driver is so skilled, because it's that implicit trust that the infrastructure is going to do what you expect it to. 
that the signaling system works, that the P-Way people have done their job to provide you a smooth, safe ride, that earthworks and drainage are functioning. Absolute implicit trust. And and it's it was fascinating to get into the mind. So, so the, the driver at this point is now explaining, right, so he's saying, if I don't apply a brake now, we're through Colton Junction. So if, if we've, for whatever reason, it's set the wrong route, and it, we're supposed to be going to Doncaster, but it's set for Leeds, we've we've you know, kind of fouled that. If, if I apply the brake now, we will foul Colton Junction. So it's just that, it's 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 a couple of miles away still. So it's just really interesting to, uh, it's really interesting to sort of, oh, you're saying it doesn't look like it's going 90 in terms of it looks like it's going slowly. Yeah, Here we go. It's a bit of anticlimax, really, but there we are, Colton Junction, through there. That's it. That's that's day. Yeah, potentially that's my that's my month, maybe the year. Uh, that's good. Yeah, it's quite pretty from this view, actually. It splits out. You know, if I do say so myself. Anyway, enough of me waffling. Oh wait. So uh, I don't know. I don't know what the sand balance is because I just like altered. But anyway, I hope you enjoyed that. Yeah, there are lots of pings and beeps, and you could see the feathered uh, signal saying, "Yeah, it's it's Doncaster. You're Doncaster bound." You could see the little sign saying 125. So we went through there about 95 miles an hour. Um, this is going through the other direction at a hundred. Oh, yeah, that's John Christoph. You're making a really good point. When you're in the front of the cab of the train, it does not feel as fast as you can see the speedo in front of you. Honestly, it really does not. You don't. You really don't realize how fast you're going. It's only when you look out the side windows that you realize the speed you're going at. But when you're sat in that train, you do not feel like you're going at 125 miles an hour. We're going at 125 miles in, an hour in this clip. And again, I, I think I'm talking about what speed we're doing. I'll shut up and hopefully I'm not too embarrassing like indeed I was talking to a driver about Pretty P-Way in the last last um, last shot. I don't know how bad the sound is, but anyway. That bridge still 125 miles an hour here we go that's the AWS and TPWS beeping by the way there we are quite smooth so there we go Oh, you've escaped the noise. You'll be glad to know. Um, drag that back up for the uh, for the end credits. Right, so there we go. Oh, hopefully that was interesting and not too horrifying, too horrifying an assault on your ears. But um, yeah, it's quite nice to it's quite nice to have. A, I, I quite enjoy those. I was so pleased, Rick Farris. Thanks so much for letting me have a, have a cab ride. I went down in an HST to Doncaster, then up in a in a ninety one back. The 91 is much nicer. The HST is horrible inside. It's just it's 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 fun and it. it, it it basically feels like a heritage train. It's like sitting in a, it's it's basically the same as sitting in a class thirty seven. It's it's got very few additional comforts compared to that. Um 
Whereas the 91 is, is, is really nice. Yeah, it's a much nicer cab space. Anyway, what about Kel Selby's call? Well, I mean, the, that's a whole story in and of itself. But I think it suffice to say that uh, I love this. This is so such a stupid sign. This mine is environmentally friendly. Greenwashing isn't new, folks. Um, yeah, this is this is it's like mining UK Limited. This is after it had kind of all folded in on itself. And this is probably like in the late nineties that this sign was put up. Although it looks even older than that. Uh, caring for the future where safety matters. That's just dismal, strange situation. But um, so uh, yeah, the old yeah. Uh, so Michael C is asking what happened to the old line. It's a good point. I should have walked along the old line for this video. But I'm going to make a proper documentary about the, the Selby diversion because it's something I clearly am a nerd about. I think it'd be interesting. I'd quite like to just, to send it out on the anniversary next year when it goes out. So it's probably so I've got a bit of time to set it up. I kind of want to record some discussions with the designer that the engineers who are still alive who are involved in it. Um, and it's a cycleway now. Uh, it's a cycleway, so you know it, it's it's not closed and gone and wiped away. It's 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 a it's a really good cycle path between York and. Um, not Selby, because they built a road at the bottom end of it. So half of it is a cycle path, a really good one, and half of it is a flipping the A63. Or the A19, sorry, it's rubbish. It's, it's a mixture of both, actually. Anyway, right, so the, all the mines closed, and that's the end of that is what happened. <laughs> so um, so what can we learn? Well, I've, 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 I've rabbited on for way too long. I'm so sorry. Uh, the, the James Bedford points out that they... Uh, they made the text green, which is how you know it's true. Absolutely. What can we learn from the success of the Selby diversion? Well, that you can be clever with a bit of with a bit of foresight. You can be quite clever about you can you can be quite clever about what you can eke out of an arrangement, a quite financially restrictive arrangement with the National Coal Board. Um, this railway cost about fifty to sixty million pounds per mile in today's money. Uh, actually, is between sixty and seventy million pounds per mile in today's money, which is um, about a third of what HS2 will cost. But it was, in fairness, involved no extra... No, it involved no stations, very straightforward from a... Basic, okay, the structures were a bit more expensive on average than they might otherwise have been if the geology was better, but fairly straightforward. Most of it was easy, plain line alignment. Uh, all in nice, easy rural areas with no particularly complicated... Um, compensation or legal claims no one moaned I, I think very few people moaned about it actually what was interesting is that the land the, the the legal teams basically spoke to all the farmers and they said right well we're taking a corner of this field and we're taking a corner of this field so that corner belongs to you on one side of the line on the other side of the line you've lost that side and that corner belongs to you on the other side of the line do you want to just swap ownership of those two so you get the corners back and the farmers like yeah, that's fine um, I don't think I don't think we've done that for HS2 anywhere. It'd be nice if we had. Any, if, if there are any land management and legal and way leave people who can tell me that that has been done for HS2, please get in contact. But uh, yeah, Adam Evans says, "What can we learn? Bugger all! It's the UK." Well, yeah, that's true. B crossing was the diversion worth it in hindsight. Absolutely, yeah, because the coal was extracted, and the line would have been hugely disrupted. So absolutely, it's worth it. And and we've got that. We've got the side benefit of a much faster alignment. Um, it carries, you know, 160 plus trains a day in normal times. It's a it's a really fundamentally important part of the East Coast mainline, and and it's 125 miles an hour right the way through. You know, it's a fast bit of railway, so it, it's a, a, a proper improvement to journey times compared to what was there before. It's, it greatly improved journey times for people coming up through uh, between Doncaster and York and, and from you know London to Edinburgh. Um, yeah, it's fantastic, and, and as is this picture of this stunning Intercity 125 back in the day when they were sort of you know acceptable. Um, Look at that, isn't it stunning? How long did it take them to build it? it? Took them two and a half years. 
Uh, do we build things as fast now? We absolutely do not know. No, we definitely do not. Uh, and here it is, looking quite green, you know, sat in amongst the trees. Uh, this is probably on top of the bunch of sandstone here, actually, in this, this slightly hillier part. There it is, looking nice. Um, but we, yeah, we, I think we, we can kind of think on what was achieved. You know, look at Colton Junction. That was built with, you know, with, with the future in mind. It's still, you know, 125 mile an hour switch. It's, it, it cannot be bested. That, that junction design cannot be bested. It can't be beaten. It's a fantastic design. As we talked about on the Speeding Trains Up episode with Steve, you cannot best that junction arrangement. It's fantastic. It really is. And I've got some nice... I, I, I was the custodian of, all, of, of a copy of all the structural drawings for a while. So I have all these these drawings. So I took a few photos of quite a lot of pictures of the different uh, drawings. It was really quite nice. So anyway, um, what we need to do is learn as much as we can for the people who built this on how they did such a quick job of it and try and apply that learning. That's really what we need to do. Um, yeah, so, right, before I click on the next thing, I need to make sure that I know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What else can we learn? Well, what we can learn is to go and stand on this footbridge and enjoy uh, <laughs> enjoy the view of the lovely uh, equal splits. There's, there's, there's the footbridge that I often find myself standing on, as I'm sure you all know. Uh, <laughs> and, um, yeah, I think we can just uh, just enjoy, you know, enjoy standing on there and watching, having incredibly loud wind noise. Oh, my goodness me, I'm going to switch that right down again. Having incredibly loud wind noise and standing at the top. Uh, well, this is new infrastructure, isn't it, Raphael? So... So this counts as a, its own new infrastructure, dedicated infrastructure. And it is sort of dedicated, although it has mixed traffic. So yeah, I, I'm relying on that ten, on that on that kind of uh, ambiguity for my claims, but I I think it justifies it given given you know things. Uh, right. So uh, I'm going to get rid of my face, get rid of my face, and then I'm going to go in here and I'm going to go uh, like this, and I'm going to say we fixed it. It's fixed. I'm just a little bit far behind on. Um, uh, on on the the uploads, so I need to just catch up. I think we're on episode seventy seven. I think I need to obviously drop in however many there's ten episodes now uh, that that we're behind on. Um, I'll do that. or not quite ten, but nearly. I'll do that. Uh, I will. I will indeed do that. Uh, but yeah, thanks for listening in audio only mode, folks. Uh, I uh, yeah, having I've just recorded. Oh, oh, I forgot to put that advert in. Oh, I'll put the advert in. Uh, actually, I can do that now while I'm waffling on, can't I? Uh, can I? Uh, no, I can't, but it's fine. Uh, I'll talk about that in a minute. Right, so, yeah, uh, the podcast is fixed. I just need to catch up the uploads. So um, if you can check, if, if you can all feed back to me that when, when those uploads have come through, I can then advertise. And I'll maybe do a bit of a plug for the podcast because it's, it's a fun podcast that exists and I think possibly does seem to hang up in audio-only mode. Um, so patreon.com slash garethdennis, garethdennis.co.uk slash discord, and paypal.me slash garethdennis for... Um, contributing to making these continue to happen for contributing to the discussion around these and continuing the chat in the side and um and also for chucking me pennies and sending me nice notes that sometimes happens in paypal uh yeah thanks to all of you particularly patreon supporters thanks eternally to all of you i owe you some uh i do owe you some uh some bonus goodies i think uh lim manfu is saying that uh that they listen to you listen to the, the old episodes as a, as a podcast they are better with slides i think i think they do work better with slides but anyway uh michael c is asking if the transport fever stream is happening this friday it's it's going to be it, it no it's, it's it's on a brief pause at the moment it will be back don't worry i'm not not doing it it's just on a bit of a hiatus at the moment while i, I get some stuff together um next week next monday everyone should tune into the architecture of the railways built not just because it's brilliant but because um someone is in it who I, I, who I, uh, 
have a lot of love for. And I think, uh, and this is a bit of a hint as to what it might be about, but you should definitely tune in to uh, The Architecture of the Railways Bill on, on yesterday, 8pm on Monday, if you have the ability to do so, if you're within a British territory or whatever the weird rules are that mean you can or cannot watch it. Next week's episode, John Elledge is joining us. John's back. Um, John is back to talk. Basically, we're going to do a bit of a page turn, and John is going to impart his knowledge of Crossrail, his extensive Crossrail knowledge, because we're going to flick through some of the old Crossrail reports from a very long time ago uh, and have a laugh at them and have a laugh at the expense of the current Crossrail failures, which um, might also be to do with Bombardier. Uh, anyway, so yes, uh, chaotic history of the early Crossrail proposals. Um Episode 85. That'll be fun. I look forward to that. Um, Joseph June is asking if my wife, if, if dear Dina is appearing. No, Dina's not appearing in The Architecture of the Railways Built. Um, uh, that, would be, that would be fun to somehow shoehorn her in. But uh, anyway, so yeah, tune into that. Now, the thing I was going to plug, I'm going to go big face briefly. I'm going to go big face to just say if you've got any questions, ask them now. Hello. Um, yeah, if you've got any questions, now is the time to ask. But uh, the other thing is I, I recorded two episodes of a podcast uh, recently, which was really good. I uh, I really, really enjoyed recording said podcast. And what I would, uh, what I would say is um, that you can listen to it by going to my feed on Twitter where they'll be. I'll drop, I'll drop them in, links in onto the Discord, if I can remember to, but also go onto the Midlands Connect uh, website or the Midlands Connect Twitter feed where there's a link to those podcasts. I did it for Midlands Connect with Sophie. Uh, it was really nice, um, really nice couple of episodes, actually. I just basically did, went on a bit of a rant, but it was a little bit of history, a little bit of explanation of some of the, you know, if you want yet another load of me talking about HS2, then that's a good place to go. So, um, oh, right, David Shepard's asking a question, which is, uh, if you could sell BFI any other part of the UK rail network, which bit would you do? Ooh. Uh, Morpeth, definitely do Morpeth. That's my first immediate gut instinct. I'd, I'd sell be a fine Morpeth because there's a 90 degree corner in the East Coast Main Line on an otherwise 125 mile an hour railway. Um, what else? Oh, there there are a few other spots that could do with some corners shaving off, but the the one that always jumps to mind is is Morpeth. I think lots of the others have been fixed. Morpeth is one, and and Newark. I'd possibly go around Newark. They're all East Coast Main Line ones, but uh, yeah. Uh, Raphael, thank that's a pleasure. Uh, Ryan, also a pleasure. Um, yeah, that's the, the, the more diversions. Nominate more, yeah, not Morpeth Curve being nominated. Yeah, absolutely, Simon. Yep, too right, too right. Uh, yeah, right. Anyway, enough for me because I'm so starving and I also need to think about food for both of us and see if Dean is back because I've been away overnight. So uh, I'm going to leave you all in peace and quiet. I'm going to whiz back to uh, back to no face here, and I'm going to just say uh, I'm going to say remember, enjoy, I'll see you next week and. Um, yeah. So much as it is, you know, absolutely glorious near the uh, the terminus of high speed one, it isn't Britain's first high speed line. Despite, you know, Eurostar trains sitting in there behind me, Bexerin looking quite pleased over there, and uh, Tracy Emin's fantastic art installation over there. This glorious station, uh, well, it is glorious. Possibly not the best railway station it could be, but um, this isn't the end of the first high speed line, as, as, as hopefully I've explained to you in reasonable detail tonight. Um, having done all that and waffled and stitched this together in some way, only really remains for me to say, uh, <laughs> to say cheerio, cheerio everyone.